Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. If you'd like to know more about us, just check out our website at sunridgechurch.org. And of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week. You may be seated. Kurt, thanks so much. Can we give it up for Kurt Grutzmacher? Yeah. Thanks, Papa Mike. Well, it's good to be with all of you today. My name is Jed, and it's a privilege to serve as one of our pastors on staff here. And if you're joining us online or here in person, it doesn't matter. We're just grateful that you're spending a portion of your weekend with us to worship and to be together. We're continuing a series that we are calendaring from Christmas time all the way to Easter, and it's uh, through the Gospel of Luke. And so we've been studying each and every single week in this incredible gospel, and I have the privilege this morning of continuing in a section that probably sounds really familiar to some of you. In fact, when you heard Kurt sharing about the good tree and the bad tree and the good fruit and the bad fruit, and then this parable of a person who builds their house on rock or on sand and a storm coming, maybe you thought, oh great, here we go again. Didn't we just hear about this a year or so ago? Uh, We, for an extended period of time when we were still meeting outdoors, actually studied through the Sermon on the Mount, which constitute Jesus's most famous words and teaching. It was the heart of all that he lived and did and taught. And that comes in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And in fact, when we were in that series, I showed you that my Bible, that's where it comes apart. Uh, Literally in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And uh, the reason why that's the case is because every year for For who knows how long now, I I make sure to spend a portion of my time of the year, particularly in the Sermon on the Mount, so much so that, again, that's, that's where my Bible comes apart. It's fascinating, of course, to me that my Bible doesn't come apart in Luke chapter 6. Uh, Because that's where we are today, and for many of us, we would think, well, yeah, I'm going to go with the Matthean version over the Lucan version, because it's so much more filled. I mean, we look at the verse content, which these verses and chapters, by the way, they they weren't added until centuries later. It's not like when our writers were taking down the scriptures there saying, okay, this is going to be chapter 6, and this is going to be verse 43. No, this was just one continuous bit of work. But if we look at the numbers, just raw data of Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount versus Luke's account of what people would say is the parallel, there's 111 verses in the Sermon on the Mount. And Lucan version uh, has immediately 29. I mean, I'm older than that. So that's what we're looking at here. And so many of us would think, well, I'm going to go with the longer version over the shorter version. They're probably the same thing anyways. I'll just take the one that's a little bit more in-depth. Well, we're going to find today, hopefully, that there are great reasons why we ought to be paying particular 
attention to what Luke has to say. And even though we might think they're the same setting or the same time, we'll see that even though there are lots of parallels, most scholars agree it's not the same time. This isn't the same happening. These are different moments in Jesus's life. And I'm convinced that there are incredibly powerful things for us to experience and see based off of Luke's writing of Jesus' teaching. And so I've titled this message, Powerful Stuff. Is that funny? Powerful Stuff. I want you to imagine that I have a plastic container, and you don't know what's inside. And on this plastic container, in big, bold, all capitalized red letters on the front of it, I hold it up, and it just says, Powerful Stuff. Mm, powerful stuff. And if I said, this thing is filled with the most powerful stuff, I imagine most of you would look at me like you're looking at me right now, which is like, Jed, you're, you're crazy. <laughs> because typically, when we make bold proclamations about something and how great it is, it makes everyone a little bit wary about what that is, right? This is like the standard infomercial. Right? This thing is so, so incredible, so, so powerful, and it's so great that we're going to double down and make sure that we'll give you more of this because we probably have inventory that we can't get rid of. I mean, that's not what they're saying, but isn't that what it feels like when someone tells you this is the best stuff ever? And so I don't want to do that to this passage of Scripture. I don't want to tell you this is the best chapter or portion in your Bible. Instead, I would hope that the Holy Spirit does something in each and every single one of us that gives us great reason to walk away, feeling a little bit more impacted today. And so instead of imagining a jar, I'm going to show you a little video that I think is very, very connected to this passage of Scripture. And every time I'm feeling a little bit down, uh, I, I go and watch this video in its entirety. This is just a portion of it. I've been watching it a lot lately, and I want to show it to you. Uh, so why don't you turn your attention to the screen. It's about a minute long, so forgive me for its length. Just give it to me straight from the heart. Tell me we can make another start. But you know I'll never go as long as I know it's coming straight from the heart. give you all the feels. No one else, Lydia, thank you for enjoying our Brian Adams. There, no one else? Not powerful stuff, apparently. Uh, when I watch that video every single time, it just, it just gets me. Uh, my dad, I was probably in his, I think, where, where, there you are, dad, uh, 20s or so when I was born. Uh, I was born uh, in 88. And uh, so growing up, my dad listened to a lot of Brian Adams. 
and so Straight From The Heart was one of those tunes that I really, really enjoyed. And in my older life, when YouTube became a thing, I made sure to look up that song. And I found that version, which I hadn't heard as a kid, because you only heard the radio version, which honestly isn't that great to me. Uh, that's not like his killer song to me. But, but, but hearing that acoustic version and seeing Brian Adams in front of, I mean, who knows how many people in that stadium just blows my mind every single time. And so I just can't wait until after the message when Ben and Joe, they, they do that song for us. Matthew, bring your harmonica. I mean, it's going to be so, so good. I'm just kidding. They're not doing that. But man, wouldn't that be killer if, if we uh, concluded our time today and, and they sang straight from the heart? Now, they're not going to do that. But there's a reason why I wanted to show you that video and give you a mental picture of a single person and scores and scores of people coming to see the event and the power. And Brian Adams, he's alone on that stage. And when he's standing there and the camera goes to that view where he's playing and, and you can look out and see all those people, you do not know the names or the faces. It'd be so rad if one of you were there, but uh, the probability that's highly low. But if you were there, come and talk to me after because I want to hear. None of us know what's happening in the lives of any of those people, but they're there because Brian Adams is there. And when he's singing straight from the heart, man, the energy in that room. And the heart there would have been something else. And so here's your first fill in the blank. Actually, before we do that, I want to show you a series of questions that we have been asking throughout this series. We, we have these questions that we're encouraging you to ask as you read through the Gospel of Luke with us. Why do you think this was important enough for Luke to write down? What do we learn about God? What do we learn about people? What does this tell us about the central story of Jesus and his resurrection? What do we learn about following Jesus? And I want to take that first question to begin with. Then you'll see the other ones just kind of weave themselves into what we're doing today. So here's your first fill in the blank. I think the reason why Luke wants us to remember this scene is really simple. Jesus was sought out for his teaching and healing. His teaching and healing. And that's really important for us. You might remember us describing Luke as a doctor as a physician, and even though Jesus' healing miracles are on display in the other Gospels, Luke gives particular attention in detailed ways for this element of Jesus' life. And so I want to read how this scene begins. In verse 17, it says, He came down with them and stood on a level place. So again, Jesus isn't on a mountain. It's a different scene with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. I mean, this is powerful stuff. But it's really hard for us to imagine what that scene would have been like. I mean, we just think about Jesus and him standing around and his Pantene Pro V hair. And maybe when he's walking, people are just like, oh, and the angels are singing. But it's nothing like that. You know, my favorite part about that Brian Adams video is at the, the very end. They're just going crazy. And uh, he looks out into the crowd. 
And he says, straight from my heart to yours, babe. And you just hear everyone in the room. I mean, it doesn't matter. Male and female just die. Like, what? Straight from my heart to yours, babe. And if Brian Adams were to say that not with the distance of the stage, but if he were to step off that stage and come be amongst the people, he wouldn't have lived to tell the story. I'm telling you, the guy would be dead. He would be dead because every single person, every single beating heart in that room would have flopped. They would have trampled the poor guy. And when we think about this scene for Jesus, it is actually akin to that type of picture. He is being rushed. There's nothing sterile or safe about this. And you can't see it in the English, but if we get a little bit more technical, we actually find that in the Greek. We see that they were trying, trying to touch him. That makes it sound like they can't get to him. But in the Greek there, it's in the imperative. It, it's, it's happening. Oh, it's happening. It's done. They're up on him. And the, the, the touch word there, it's in the imperfect tense. In other words, it's not just a simple thing that happened in the past, right? That'd be past tense or heirs tense. It's in the imperfect tense, which means that something has happened and there's no indication of it being done. Does that make sense? There's ongoing touching, right? And power is coming out of him. And it says he healed them all. It makes it sound like, again, that he was done doing that. It was in the past tense, but that's in the imperfect tense as well, in the active voice. It is just happening. Does that make sense? Can you picture that? It's Brian Adams for who knows how long, just being mobbed over and over and over and over again. This isn't that Sunday school picture of Jesus sitting nicely and people like sitting and waiting. It is pandemonium. And so then it says, then he looked up at his disciples and said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Again, we're so used to hearing this is like Jesus saying it nicely, but if Jesus were being touched over and over and over to get some of his power, to get some of his healing, and the Greek, the Greek here for he looked, it, it really is. I'm so glad the NRSV says looked up because it, it shows they're all over him. Jesus is looking up over the crowds and he's essentially needing to scream this out. Does that make sense? If Brian Adams wanted people to hear it, he wouldn't say, blessed are you for your... No, no, no. Jesus is screaming out, blessed. Blessed are you who are poor. Me saying something that is so wild and ridiculous that you, if you're poor, if you're poor, you're fortunate. You are happy now. There's something about right now that really matters. I didn't put it up on the screen, but when I'd asked Bob and Pam to read from Psalm 145 the past two weeks, as Pam was reading again this morning, I just thought, gosh, how incredible. Uh, look, at, look at what Pam had read earlier. The Lord is gracious and merciful. All it's on the screens. The Lord is good to all in his compassions over all that he made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your faithful shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power and make known to 
all people, your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. It just sounds like, man, we're just giving God all this praise. But then look later on when it says, the Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is just in all his ways and kind in all his doing. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call him on in truth. He fills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Whoa. Thanks for reading that, Pam. Do you see the flipping of that psalm? It's like you're declaring out to God and hear Jesus is in the thick of chaos, satisfying the needs of those all around him and speaking out words that harken back to when he was in his hometown reading from the scroll of Isaiah, that Nazareth manifesto and proclaiming who he is about. The marginalized, the poor, the weak, the downtrodden. You see, what's fascinating about this section of Scripture is there's a reason why a lot of us can't really relate to that. Because my clothes look all right. I mean, your clothes look all right too because you're, you're wearing some. And, and you might struggle with money financially just like I do. But, you know, I, I really actually know that I'm, I'm pretty darn rich. I am. And if you're sitting here today, you are. And I'm not saying that not, you're not struggling with finances, and I'm not telling you that. But there's a reason why we look at Matthew's version, and perhaps it's a little bit more tenable to us. Look at, look at how Matthew speaks of Jesus in a different setting, speaking to people. This is a much more sterile version. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, the disciples came to him. He began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Do you see how when Jesus in that scene is speaking, what's poor there isn't about possessions and state of circumstance or life materially. Do you see that? So when we talk about why Luke wants us to see this scene this way, well, one, it's just accurate. And two, it's because he really wants us throughout this gospel to be paying attention to people. I want to show you just a few images on the screen. Luke wants us to see people. You know, it's difficult for us to imagine what these folks are like, because when we think about Jesus nowadays, we imagine him coming to people like us, right? Put together folks, 
ready to hear his word and his teaching, get the truth, and we know what to do with our lives. There's a reason why I showed you this picture at the end with these kids who are laughing and smiling because oftentimes when we think about the poor, we think about people like in those images prior to that, right, who who just look so depressed and, and down. But here's your next film, The Blank. Luke wants us to remember that Jesus was speaking to the materially poor. He really was. They constituted a large part of his crowd, but those aren't the only people who were there. This next section to me is why I think you and I also struggle with Luke chapter 6 and instead would prefer a version like Matthew chapter 5. Luke continues to have Jesus screaming out these words. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in the day and leap for joy, and surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what the ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you've received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn. And weep. And again, Jesus is speaking out these words as people crowd in around him. Now, I'm not here to make you and I feel guilty. I'm really not. But again, let's just think about the way that Jesus, when he's with those disciples in the scene that we have in Matthew, speaks about wealth and riches compared to Jesus here in, in this particular scene, right? In the Mithene version, we have Jesus saying things like, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust will destroy, where thieves will break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust will not destroy, where thieves cannot steal or break in. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And again, that just sounds so tranquil, doesn't it? It's like, what does it mean to store up treasures in heaven? It's kind of how Christians look at that. I had someone years ago tell me, I can't wait to see the jewels in my crown someday. And that's just how we think about that stuff, right? What's it going to be like when we get more stuff in heaven? Because we didn't care about the stuff here. Isn't that ironic? Right? Or later on when Jesus again in that same scene, in the same breath, is saying to those disciples no one can serve two masters for either one will love one and hate the other or one will be devoted to one or despise the other you cannot serve god and wealth greek mammon right in the end it sounds like okay jesus i hear you and then you hear jesus say so therefore i tell you do not worry about what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear it's not life more than food and the body more than clothing look at the birds of the air and it's like we're sitting there like look at the birds of the air my god loves me and i'm not trying to miss what jesus is saying in that particular scene i'm just trying to expose the contrast here and give us a reason why my heart might not feel like reading this version and instead i'm inclined to go to matthew's version because when i hear jesus here It makes me feel a little bit more uncomfortable. Several years ago, 
uh, Lisa Owens, one of our pastors on staff, she introduced our church family to a curriculum called When Helping Hurts. And some of you were with us when we did that collective on Sunday nights. And the purpose of When Helping Hurts was to begin to have us question some of our mindset and mentality toward others, particularly those who we would describe as in need or the poor. And we were asked questions like, what does it mean to be poor? And many of us, and I would have put myself in that category, I should have found my journalist, see what I've written, but I would have probably said something like, a lack of resources or an inability to, right? And maybe we would have envisioned people like we saw earlier in those pictures, whether they're in those, what we would determine now as de developing countries, which still feels demeaning, doesn't it? or people who are in lesser situations than us. And the reason why When Helping Hurts began from that place is because they're going to do a little bit of a move on us to recognize that being materially poor certainly is difficult and hard and, and very, very difficult for a lot of us to, to really conceive of in, in the ways and the depths of others around the world. But, but what those who brought forward when Helping Hurts wanted us to see was closer to the heart of Jesus. When he says, woe to you who are rich, for you've received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you'll be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you'll mourn and weep. Because Jesus was also speaking to, this is your next one, the blank, but saddened for the materially rich. You see, what's funny is we might want to avoid this section of Scripture because it feels like Jesus is, is making sweeping condemnations about your Roth IRA account or your mutual funds or what your checking or savings account balances look like or what kind of car you drive or what kind of clothes you wear, but he's actually not, he's actually not doing that. What he's expressing to the crowds is probably the moment in time when people are starting to get, oh wait, what is he saying? He's speaking sadness over material wealth. Not because of what that is in and of itself, but because of what it does to those in the crowd and certainly those of us today who lack that desperate need of God. Because we're pretty satisfied, and in fact, our dissatisfaction with much of our life is because we don't feel like we have enough money, or enough stuff, or enough this or that. It's just this cycle, isn't it? It's crazy. And my kids say, more money, more problems, right? The boys, they, they laughed it out, and it's like, it's true. Jesus is speaking out sadness for the materially rich. And this is where I would hope you and I start to get impacted a little bit more because what we're seeing here is that all of us, and this is what when helping hurts pauses, and that's just not when helping hurts. This is what our Bibles want us to know is that all of us are broken and in need of healing and are sick, and lack wholeness, and are sinful, and messed up in all kinds of ways. 
And even though we might not look at ourselves that way, even though this crowd would have been so wild, I mean, it would have been the most unholy, literally, thing to see all these people with different types of deformities coming up and screaming and touching, people throwing themselves on the ground, reaching out for them, even though it would have looked like absolute chaos and scary even, What's scary, honestly, is a room full of people like you and me that look like we've got it all together when really we know. That's pretty scary. Let me show you that Jesus knows that. Look at what he says next. So woe to you and I'll speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. But I say to you that listen. Are you hearing Jesus? See, there's something about reputation. There's something about our reputation that we're incredibly protective over, and for good reason. We care a lot about how people see us materially. We care a lot about how people look at us. We care a lot about how they think about us mentally and stably and, and physically and financially and then spiritually. All those things. We really, really care about how people see us and perceive us. And we can do a pretty good job of looking pretty darn good, honestly. Let's go back to the very first words of this account, right? And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. I'm pretty sure that I don't get that sense about my life. I'm pretty sure on Sunday mornings for a lot of us and throughout the week, uh, that just really isn't what it's like for us. Desperation to get a hold of Him. Because we are aware, and it's so obvious to everyone else there, that we're pretty darn messed up. I mean, it is so obvious. There's no hiding how sinful we are. There's nothing about us that is going to shield anyone's views of us trying to just get a touch of the hem of his robe. We're so desperate. And what's so great about that scene is that there's not a person in the crowd who's reaching that doesn't recognize everyone else is trying to get Jesus too. And it's those that are on the outside looking in who are saying, look at these imbeciles. Look at those filthy, dirty people. Look at those crowds. Uh, let's tell them how they should be living. Because that's what the scripture says. Let's remind them. Let's make sure that they hear it loud and clear. Last week, and Britt talked about Pharisee. Let's just make sure they know what the holy word of God says. You guys get something? I want to show you a little video uh, that I shot a couple weeks ago. Ready, Jerry? <laughs> That's my boy, Thad. You guys ever been to Shogun restaurant? 
That place is pretty cool, huh? Uh, several weeks ago at the end of 2021, uh, we had a Sunday morning off, which was crazy. December 26th, and uh, we decided that we'd take our boys to SeaWorld because uh, they've got passes. Um, now the boys and I don't, but a guest could tag along that day. And uh, so I surprised them on the way down. I, I said, hey, 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 you guys ever been to a place called Shogun? And they're like, what's Shogun? And I'm like, well, I'm going to show you. So I said, hey, honey, let's, let's just see if they'll take us, yeah? And she's like, all right, let's go. And so we, 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 we got to Shogun in San Diego, and, and thankfully they had seats available for us, and we sat down, and it was a show. Man, the, the boys were just so amazed. And little Thad, and he's our oldest, he's nine years old now, and uh, oh man, when he started just animating facially, it really got me. And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm typically, I'm not like trying to capture the world, but I took out my phone and, and, and I filmed that because I wanted to remember that for me. You know, a lot of you guys have heard, heard me from this stage and you might think Jed's a pretty good dad. And, you know, I love my boys a lot and I try really, really hard for them, but I'm a pretty messed up dad. And when I think about that, and I rem- he, he's our firstborn, we've got two more little guys. And uh, when I was a little kid and I was learning how to read and write, I, I had had this deep anxiety. I'd go to bed at night uh, because I, you know, my mom was pretty strict on me. And, and so when it came down to like reading and writing, and she was so, you know, it's like, get it, get it, get it. And there was this saying that she would have in, in, in our native tongue. It was like, it's a first time in a long time I've ever said words in another, another language. And basically, that, that saying was like, Jesus Christ, God Almighty, what is wrong with this kid's brain? <laughs> yeah, seriously, I'm not kidding. Um, you guys are laughing, but when you're like trying to learn how to read, and then that's spoken over everything, it's like, I think she thought she was going to have a dumb kid, you know? And I think I turned out okay, but I really struggled with that stuff, and and I would just get super nervous at nighttime wondering whether or not someday, and I'm, I'm telling you, I was like four years old, five years old, I, I'd think about being a dad because all I wanted to do was be a dad. And, and then I would think, man, what if they don't learn how to read and write? Because it's so hard to learn, you know? And, and thankfully, it turned out okay, but I, I have this scene still of Thadden. Uh, when we were at Target, and I've never... Talk to him about this outside when I apologize in that moment. But I'll talk to him about it when we're older. Uh, he was probably four or so years old, maybe five. I think five because he would have been in TK. And we were in the aisle, and he's in a WWE wrestling at the time. And so whatever the boys are in, it's like, we'll just go full bore into it. And uh, he was, I don't know what was happening behaviorally, and he really wanted this this action figure. And, and I asked him to just read what, to me, as a 30-something-year-old, were, were, well, I would have been 20-something at the time, simple words. And I don't know what happened. All, all I know is my sinfulness got the best of me because I'm, I'm pretty messed up. And I just, I remember, like, starting to get at him, get after him. Like, dude, I probably was like, are you, what, are you kidding me? Like, dude, look, are you going to make the sounds? Like, are you going to, and I'm telling you, like, and it's just like, and I had to stop when Mal came over to the house, like, what's going on? 
I'm like, he's just not. And then it's like, whoa, snap out of it. And I'm telling you, like, I, I'm convinced that of the many terrible things I've done as a father, that particular moment, because I tend to not be like that, it really did scar him. And, and that's been like, he struggles to get his, his words out and his emotions. And I, I'll tell him someday, I'm going to apologize particularly for that moment again, even though I apologized to him after. And I want to talk him through how I imagine that that shaped him. And so when I was shooting that video, I thought exactly at that moment, I'm watching my boy just like beaming from ear to ear, no words, just like, and um, it's like, that's his sinful dad right there, wishing that he could get his son to him that way. You know, we got a dog a few weeks ago, and it's been such a gift. I was telling Mal that I think this will really bring out so much for Thad. And I realize I'm going long. I'll try and hurry up. Um, but, man, the last few weeks of having the dog now, Thad has been talking so much, so much. And, 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 I mean, he and our interactions have been changing so, so much. And I'm so grateful that God made animals <laughs> to help. You see, what's interesting about this passage of Scripture when it gets to the rest of the teaching is we have all these words that Jesus gives the crowds that are supposed to help us be better human beings and better parents, right? We're supposed to hear these words and just do them. Here's the next one on the blank. You see, Jesus was sharing his power to do and experience the unexpected, and this is still available to us. You see, Jesus is concerned about the whole person, not just materially poor or rich, but the whole being. And so he has power for their physical ailments and whatnot, but he's also speaking words that are empowering all of them and now all of us, all of these years later, to experience over and over in our lives the utter surprise that comes and we yield to the Holy Spirit of God in ways that are very counter to what we want to do. And you see, we could have gone into this section and said, all right, hear this stuff and do it because it's powerful. It's going to make a difference in your life. But we've done that over and over and over. I want to show you a picture as we begin to wrap up. I showed it earlier. It's this scene. There's a single egg there. And I played it so that it looked like it were just a regular picture, but pulled back. Uh, this is a scene from, uh, I think, 2012. And that guy in the blue shirt, uh, that's Huey Frederick Hughes IV. Uh, that's my best friend. And uh, he's bald now. God bless him. But he used to have really good hair. And Hugh, if you're watching, I just called you out because I'm getting there too. So that's Huey in India. He spent uh, eight months there, I think. And that woman to his right and our left, who's really, really small, that's looking at that, that single egg. Her name is Yashoda. And this place that Huey is in is called Pipe Village. You can see in the far distance these pipes that are about six feet long with an opening of maybe three or so feet. And families 
lived inside of these pipes, and they were migrant workers from all over India that spoke different tongues, and, and they'd be in these places, and they would do forced labor there for, I mean, I don't remember what the, the, the money was, but it, it's terrible. It, I mean, it, we can make it like just snapping our fingers. And, and Hugh spent several months out there in India, and uh, he would tell me uh, and through email about this woman to his right and our left named Yashoda, and she was a mom who was in her 40s and had a family, and she would invite him into her home, which was one of those pipes, and uh, she would make you chai tea, and they would sit there, and they wouldn't be able to converse. Uh, he, he wasn't at that great with the language at that point in time. He, he did. I mean, he got pretty incredible with it, but so they would just, they would share the, the chai tea, her gift to him. And the way he describes it is at the very end of every time he would get up and she would just put her hand on his hand and, and pat him. She would touch him and then he would leave. And it was just powerful for him. So one day he was in Pipe Village and uh, Yoshoda uh, just starts to convulse. And, and, and so Hugh grabs her and her family's around. They, they're able to rush her to a, a hospital. It's, it's not a hospital, right? And Hugh is just looking. He, he's got Yoshoda's husband and her, her kids there. And, and no one there knows what to do with Yoshoda. And so Hugh's trying to explain, you need to do CPR, you need to do CPR. But they don't know what to do. And so Hugh starts doing chest compressions on Yashoda and puts his mouth on her mouth and starts breathing into Yashoda and she dies in his arms. I mean, the taste of death. I mean, it's like one of the most traumatic stories I've heard. And several months later, I flew out to India to, to go visit the, the schools that our church was building all throughout and, and visit as an honored guest to these places and hang out with Hugh and see him there. And what's funny is when people think about Americans like Hugh or me going to India, it's like that mentality of like, we're coming to save these people and build these schools and do all this stuff. But Hugh understood something about the power of, you showed his touch to him. And that says something about what's really powerful and impactful about Jesus Christ. And it's not captured in Luke's gospel. It's captured in John's gospel. And he's speaking about Jesus to crowds. And Jesus speaking out, very truly, I tell you, anyone who hears these words of mine and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. That moment for Hugh and Yashoda when she is dying in his arms to everyone is the epitome, right, of what it means to follow Christ. But no, 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 it's, it's, it's not that. It's Yashoda and Hugh sipping on their chai tea together and that touch and Hugh understanding. It's not about what he's bringing. And it's not even about what she's giving. There's someone over all and in all and through all that reminds every single one of us that we're actually in desperate need of his touch. 
You see, life is available to you and I before death. And I'm going to invite the band up. It's fascinating because when it comes to Christianity, we're so concerned about people becoming Christians so that they can get to heaven. But if you look at this scene in Luke chapter 6, you'll see, not in this scene, but in all of Jesus' ministry, he's not converting people to Christianity because it's not a religion yet. He's not making Christians. I'm telling you, he's not. Trust me. You can like not like that, but he's not making Christians. He's not counting the amount of people that are getting salvation to heaven. He's speaking about the kingdom. And that is something that he says later on, Luke is within or among you. And you know what? When we talk about Jesus and eternal life and the resurrection, we just, we just fast forward to Easter, the life after death part. But here's one of the questions that we asked ourselves about Luke is what does this teach us about Jesus and his central story of the resurrection? Here's your next fill in the blank. And we're almost done. This is the central story of Jesus and the resurrection. This. And when I say this, I'm not saying just this one scene here. I'm not just saying like Jesus rising from the dead. That's really important. So no, no, no. What I'm saying is this as in he, him. Him, not isolated in a way, but here in the thick of it being grabbed at, people desperate for him. So your last fill in the blank, write this down, but you can just set that paper aside and you can throw it away, honestly, because it doesn't matter. You hear sermons all the time. Who cares? Jesus is worthy of our wonder and worship. Jesus is worthy of our wonder and our worship. Because if you can get teary-eyed over a 21-year-old college student with his lips pressed up against a 40-something-year-old woman who's passing 7,000 miles across the globe, I hope you and I would consider that his willingness to go there means that he is still here with you and me. And that says something about us, but it says more about him. And that should be shocking to us. And so as we walk away from this Sunday morning, would we remember that if he is the only one who's worthy of our wonder and our worship then when it comes to all of our brokenness and our sinfulness and our relationships with one another, he is able. He's able. Let's pray. Hey everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. We hope you'll listen in again next week, but in the meantime, Keep helping people find and follow Jesus.